Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 46. Uh, this week, one of our co-casters, Ed Wynn, is on his way to Japan. So he basically wrote up answers to all of the things we're going to talk about, and we'll just sort of go over the points that he touched on. Um, I'm joined this week with my co-casters, Jim Caselli of Caselli Productions and Travis Allen of uh, Buffalo, New York, I guess. Um, he writes for MTG Price. Jim writes for Modern Nexus. So we're trying to bring you the best uh, podcast out there, I guess you could say. Let's start off with the obvious softball. Uh, no changes to the ban list, and Wizards didn't even mention Legacy, which is actually pretty sad. How do you guys feel about the state of some of these formats? Let me talk at length about Legacy. It's a rich and vibrant format. Yeah. Keep going. Uh I mean, so this tells us a couple things. It tells us that Wizards currently, uh, I think the language in the ban list announcement refers to Utrecht, Utrecht, uh, Grand Prix Utrecht. It doesn't talk about, um, uh, what was it, Jersey and, what was the other one? It was another European GP this past weekend. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't talk about those, so they're probably making decisions on a timeline slightly behind. Um, if they had had this GP's results, we might they might have decided differently because it was really heavy copycat and Mardu. Um, we also know that they're not really looking to use this format, this ban list aggressively. Aaron Forsyth talked on Twitter today, very briefly, he said, a second ban list announcement doesn't mean we're going to ban twice as frequently. It just allows us to be more granular with when we do it. So that kind of is setting a precedent that we shouldn't expect a lot more bannings, just that it gives them more doors to it. Um, so I think the expectations the next time we get one of these, um, which will be five weeks after Pro Tour Cat, which puts us in like... Uh, next, no, no, no. The next one is after the set release of Amonkhet. We get two now. Remember? Well, I mean the next post Pro Tour ban list change. Okay. I wouldn't expect any, any. I think that that will be a much quieter event this time. Well, I was just clarifying for anyone that was confused because what you said was not that exactly. Yep. No, that's that's completely fair. That is accurate. And it also means standard is dead as terms of finances go until Amonkhet comes out. And Ed sort of agrees here, and he said that there wasn't anything to change really in standard. I think we can all agree on what Ed's saying here, that confidence would have been shattered if they had banned another thing in standard. I think the only way they could have done anything is to unban something, and instead they just stayed the course. Because if you're a standard player and you get hit twice in a couple of months, like why would you play standard anymore? They're just destroying the value of your cards. It's really funny to me that we're talking about unbanning cards in standard. That's very usually a modern and legacy conversation. But I mean, I could have seen them banning like Thraben Inspector or uh, the three one who drives the vehicles really well. Like those don't ruin your Gideons, but they do cut the legs out underneath some of these major strategies. Uh, I mean, if you looked at what Wizards had said, they had inspected some of the decks that were going around and there wasn't really anything uh, that the veterans of this industry could find out that was wrong with standard so i yeah i think standard's in a good place right now um you just, you just obviously drive that pun home didn't you thank you yeah uh you know when i'm joined here with my crew for the podcast we always have to get things right um so we're starting to see an emergence of this teamer tower deck uh you know i don't think there's any action on this i would say because dynavolt tower already spiked up from like a quarter to a dollar seventy-five, uh, so people are have already pulled it out of their bulk, and it's they like they probably don't want to trade them away. Um, but we've got sort of a rock paper scissors metagame right now, where it's uh, 
rock is vehicles, scissors is the cat, and then um, paper is everything else because you're just signing the drop slip after you play against those other two decks. But yeah, I don't think standard is as bad as it was with mono black versus mono blue. I don't think standard's been the best the last two years compared to like 2012, 2013, but it's playable enough at this point and they just don't want to kill confidence. It's a little weird that you like, you bring up the... Jim, uh, your audio's dead again. Well, we'll get Jim right back on the cast. Uh, Travis, is there anything that you want to add about this? Uh, let's see. There's no money left in standard. Don't expect anything too exciting. On the ban list after Pro Tour, Amonkhet, the one before, could be interesting. Uh, and Jace is not getting unbanned in Modern without a huge reprint. And I don't know why they would have used this ban list to change things in Modern anyways, especially since the format looks good. So I think that's about everything. Plot twist, they're going to unban Jace just to sell more Eternal Masters packs after that second print run. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose if they announced another large Eternal Masters run and then unbanned Jace, like I could see that maybe, but you're still looking at $200 Jaces. Is my microphone working now? That's a little better. Okay. Well, what I was trying to say was, I, I know that people got like pretty jaded during the Theros Return of Ravnica standard when Mono Black and Mono Blue were like really popular, but I didn't play either of those decks during that time period at all. And I think that there's just like there's a lot of stigma against like trying new things if you don't like if you don't you can't stomach a little bit of losing to figure out what you need to do, and. I think that people rely too much on the professional players, which don't necessarily have the incentive to brew. They have the incentive to, you know, place high at whatever tournament that they're playing in, which sometimes means just playing the deck that beats most of the decks that they're, you know, expecting to play against. So I don't know. I think that there's more to standard than people want to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's just like a lost cause either. I don't think it's the worst standard, but it's definitely like not particularly like the deck choices are not particularly interesting. I don't know. This looks pretty miserable to me. It's not mono black, mono black, mono blue bad, but it's like, I mean, what was it? Something like 80% of the top 32 of both of those GPs combined was copycat and Mardu vehicles. Teamer Dynable is just like basically a couple players who run high on variants. That's pretty ugly. The I difference. mean, I, I, I accepted at your local meta, it might be better, but yeah, but I was about to hit that local right, but, meta hasn't changed at all. The tournament scene just sucks for pros, and heaven forbid some neckbeard making twenty thousand dollars a year as a professional magic player not get to play the best format in the world. Well, you have to keep it. I mean, that's that's valid to an extent, right? Like for the guy who's just showing up to F and M in Saturday standard tournaments, his standard probably looks fine. So it's okay. His play experience hasn't changed, but the perception is really important. And the perception is that the standard is terrible. Um, so even if this guy is going to FNM every week and never plays against copycat or vehicles, he's still looking at the results and going, this standard sucks because of what I'm seeing. So I think that the weight of that is at least the weight of the perception is at least as important as the actual experience of FNM, if not more important. Yeah, I agree. That's like part of the thing that I think is a problem is that people feel like it's bad because there are so few deck choices or there are perceived to be so few deck choices, but I don't think that's actually the case. And I don't think it's actually like necessarily a bad thing that there are only a few deck choices. Like if the gameplay when you're playing is good, then it really shouldn't matter all that much. 
and what I can understand, like, if you want, like, a simple, you know, beating down whatever kind of deck, you play the Marty Vehicles deck, and if you want, like, more play lines and more thought process, then you play the copycat deck, because choosing what thing to link with your Felidar Guardian is, like, it, it, it could be a big puzzle all in of itself, so. This is bad, Jim. Your connection is real bad. Yep. Uh, and then let's move in more to Channel Fireball taking over this monopoly of events. Um, Ed says, let's start off with Ed first since he's currently on his way to Japan and I'll be following him next week. Um, Ed says that this is ultimately healthy. Um, there's been some bad GPTOs in the past, which I completely agree with. Um, I was at GP Chicago when uh, Pastimes, a.k.a. Past Slime, shit the bed. I was at GP Pittsburgh when professional or unprofessional event services shit the bed. Like, there's so many crappy TOs out there, and it's nice to have one TO run everything. But on the flip side, Channel Fireball has always been one of the more expensive TOs for, like, $20 side events and all that. Um so sorry, Alan. There's no more pastimes GPs, but they were truly the worst GPs I've ever been to. So I'm glad that that reign is over. Channel Fireball. I, I, they specifically cited in the announcement that part of this was an effort to control costs because you had TOs charging whatever they wanted for Grand Prix. So I would guess that Channel Fireball is going to set a price for all limited GPs and all constructed GPs. And they might be slightly higher than we're used to, but they're going to be less than some of these ones that get ridiculous. They're like $150 for, you know, a limited Grand Prix or whatever it was, which is just insane. So um, I think at the start overall, this will be better for players. I don't know if that will persist. Monopolies have a way of turning ugly, uh, but with enough oversight from Wizards, it might be enough, it might be fine. And one thing that Ed wants to point out here as we're, and keep in mind, Ed sent us pages and pages of like what he wanted his opinion to be felt on for this cast so that we did could Did he get do all that across. on his phone, by the way? Yeah, he did that while he was sitting in on the plane because he's that on was a plane. A, that must have taken forever to text with his thumbs. Like that was seriously like three typed pages worth of text. Uh, Ed <laughs> wants to point out that Channel Fireball might outsource some GPs, like especially Japan, which is very xenophobic in his words, not mine, though I'll find out next week. Uh, that they don't like Western TOs coming in and telling them what to do and how to run GPs. Um, like Hyruya has like tatami mats and like snacks for everyone. And the way that they do GPs where uh, instead of side events where you get all these uh, neckbeards standing up with these buzzers in their hand and waiting for their event to fill, they sit in chairs and they don't pay until the event's full. And if you don't want to, if you want to back out, you just get up from your chair and leave. And when there's eight people sitting in whatever row for your side event, you hand the judge money and you go sit down at the same time which is like way better than the current way that any TO in America does it. Well, except that if you want to play in a side event draft, you have to sit there the whole time, right? Which is fine yeah. for drafting, but if you want to play like vintage, like how many hours are you, how many times is that going to fire over? So the, the difference is that Japanese GPs always cap because of the population density. So, I mean, they're just running like clockwork. It's not like American GPs where the country is as big and they also have a really good metro. So it's really easy to get to GPs in Japan. It doesn't solve the problem of if you beat the pick the least popular. Yeah, fix event. your audio, bud. Uh, it doesn't fix the doesn't fix as Jim was saying. Fix the problem of if you pick the least popular side event, you still have um, people who are going to be waiting some great amount of time before it actually fires. 
I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's anything wrong with Vintage, which is actually quite good over there in Hariuya. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I just think it's better to just, oh, I'm going to go you know, sit in a chair and hey, my friends want to go get lunch. All right, well, I'm just going to get up, not pay the judge and go. I like that way more uh, than most GP um, TOs. I think there's a lot of things both sides can learn from uh from how to do gps and i i do hope that channel fireball continues to outsource the some of these gps uh to these international tos and not try to handle the logistics uh worldwide for all the gps especially when there could be two per weekend it's interesting to think uh what this means with the exclusive contract because the whole reason wizards gave them this exclusive contract was to maintain consistency of, of experience and cost so if channel fireball starts um subletting to how to do ya, like i the, i guess the prices i wouldn't expect to be different because like that's part of what's in the contract for channel fireball but i do wonder if that starts to infringe on some of like the quality metrics and consistency consistency experiences um that would have been written under that contract i mean they might specifically have a rider that says no no uh subcontracting su no subcontracting at least in some capacity right like but then again i don't know it's a it's a pretty small market you're not dealing with like thousands of events and hundreds of thousands of people it's pretty easy for wizards to say don't subcontract unless it's from an approved subcontractor maybe like you have to get permission from us so and you know they're going to approve how to do yeah when tell pastimes to piss off <laughs> and uh we also have the whole thing with star city where everyone's like well why isn't star city doing wizard why why aren't they doing coverage why aren't they doing coverage like clearly cedric and patrick are just jumping right on the way to oh we need coverage give us coverage give us coverage that's not how the real world works star city allegedly wants money to cover these events because it costs a hundred thousand dollars up to live broadcast an event for the weekend you know they're not going to they're not going to do it for free for a GP, especially when they can't even promote their own products on a GP stream. You know, you're not allowed to say, oh, come to the Star City Open or here's the Star City Game Day when you're covering a Grand Prix versus when you're doing a Star City Open or the Star City Pro Circuit. You can do whatever you want as far as advertising goes. Um, so Star City was, ba in my opinion, just based off what I've heard, Star City was probably just like, will, will you will you pay us to cover these GPs? Wizards was like, no. And Channel Fireball's like, well, we can save you guys some dollars. I expect yeah. that the ultimate result of this is that for the player on the ground who shows up at a handful of GPs every year, even a little more than that, they'll probably like it more. Yeah, and at least for the first Fireball year. is so professional. You know, it's very, very good. Uh, if you miss an event, they'll refund you or they'll give you a voucher. I personally did not have that happen to me with uh, professional events or pastimes legacy side events, where you know I missed the first round and I try to get a refund, or I uh, what was the other time I missed? I, I forgot the other reason. It was probably my bad then, but I was like, hey, can I transfer my credit? And they were just like, no, even though they already had my money and I missed an event. Um, so that sucked. Um, yeah, I, I shed zero tears for professional events or pastimes leaving. They were honestly, in my opinion, a blight on the Midwest TO scene. <laughs> and, All you right, know, man. you look at Legion events down in Oklahoma. That was one of the best GPs I've ever been to. Uh, Steve Port, I think it's Steve P was the owner of Legion. And I mean, he did great. I, I really enjoyed going to those GPs. Uh, so we will see Jim, you want to see if your audio works now? Uh, hopefully it does. This is better. Uh, not at all. Uh, 
So the next topic, I guess, do you want to do you want to sort of go into uh, market movements, Travis? Or you want to talk about some feedback that we got from our last episode? Uh, yeah. Why don't we discuss that feedback? It's a good one. Good feedback. All right. So I got to pull it up real quick. So give me a second for people that are watching live or listening later. So this is going to be a good. This is a good cast. You know, Ed's in Japan. Yeah. Uh, and Jim's internet doesn't work, so it's really one-on-one -on -one with Jeremy and Travis here. Okay, it's very so personal. Uh, uh, issues with my audio. <laughs> All right. Well, that actually didn't sound too bad, Jim. Um, I didn't hear him. So we got a comment from someone, and we like to uh, listen and look at all the feedback that you guys leave every week, uh, including all the cards for your feedback that we got on Reddit. I guess that helped a lot with our uh, our numbers. Uh, Matt Skeels from the last episode says, I'd like to respectfully disagree with the statement that we shouldn't buy fake Chinese cards. Using Zemet's claim, you spelled my name wrong, asshole, that they are just cardboard to support my reasoning. I normally don't buy fakes, but I do when it comes to the reserve list. Watsi and collectors are undermining themselves by reprinting the reserve list and not reprinting those cards. Once the price is too high, I will gladly pay a cheaper price for a piece of cardboard. Watsi is leaving money on the table, and I sure won't buy an overpriced piece of cardboard for my cube. It is a matter of supply and demand. Watsi ain't supplying it, so someone will, and for a reasonable price. So what do you guys think about that? Let's let Jim go first. Sorry, I was trying to see if I can adjust some sound settings to make this better. Is this okay? Is this listenable? Uh, no. Not it's, really. It's slightly better. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I think I might have like stepped on the microphone or something and broke it. I can't get it's I'm not, not really picking that up. Definitely your internet. Yeah, this is definitely internet sounds. I mean, are you having storms down there? No, it's clear, and you guys are clear too, so I don't know what's going on. It sounds like your upload rate is probably having an issue then. Um if you're on Windows 10, it might be due uploading patch or something. Okay, so back to the feedback while Jim figures this out. So this guy says, uh, Wizards is not making the reserve list affordable for me. It's a matter of supply and demand, and as a result, I'm going to buy Chinese proxies. Travis, would you like to share your thoughts on this? Yeah. You're dumb as shit. <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. This like, is a seriously. terrible idea. We, like we don't even, you know, we're not a friendly podcast, or at least I'm not, and I don't want to waste my time reading this goddamn feedback. This is the stupidest argument I've ever seen, and I have to listen to standard players and modern players every week at the shop. Like, supply and demand is there for a reason. You have all these older players who can afford to buy these old cards now, and would you look at that? They're actually buying the cards, so the prices are going up. It's not my fault you can't afford a card. Get a real job and stop listening to this podcast you know, because it's clearly not working for you on all the things we've talked about on all these casts, and it, it, you're 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 giving us a paragraph of bullshit, basically. You know, uh, we, like there's no point to what you just said at all. Yeah. So uh, rather than just tell you that you're a moron, because uh, you are, but let me try and explain this to you. There have been like every finance writer has written an article about how counterfeits are terrible for the game, like they ruin the health of the game. And if there is a short list of things that will actually cause magic to fail and close up shop, counterfeits are one of them. This ruins the game. Like, I don't care if you can't afford reserve list cards and you want something for your cube, that's fine. Take a card and write 
uh, you know, flooded strand on it or, or, you know, tundra or cut out a picture of it and tape it to a real magic card. Don't give money to people counterfeiting. That's the one I have the biggest problem with. Go get proxies. There are gorgeous proxies you can get done by infinite number of people. Those are fine too. Don't give money to counterfeiters because that is where the problem comes in and that's where magic fails. And you don't get to determine what magic should, what Hasbro should and shouldn't do with the reserve list and what you're owed. Like that's not your right. Uh, you know, there's, there's, and the law backs me up on this one. Like what you're doing is illegal. Uh, I mean, we all do illegal stuff, but like this is illegal and you have no moral or you have no grounds of any sort to defend this point other than I'm a greedy jerk who doesn't care about anyone except for myself. And it doesn't even make sense. Like if you're playing for your cube, why are you buying these counterfeits? Just get proxies made. It's just, it's so dumb. You're so dumb. Like, yeah, sure, buy proxies. Then your local g game shop goes under, and then you don't have anywhere to play. Wow, good job. Congrats, you played yourself. Yep. Um, so if you're going to leave feedback, make it always constructive and think about what you're doing. Should not be that hard. Yeah. So a future note for other people, definitely not a good idea to message us and tell us you're a fan of counterfeits. Things are bad. <laughs> Jim, you actually sound good now. Is there anything that you want to weigh in on? Uh, no, that was, that was my two cents. Fakes are bad. If you think fakes are good, then I don't know. Just play with proxies and don't play with other people because that's basically what you're going to end up doing anyway. The only thing that guy plays with is himself. And we're moving on. Oh, that was a good one, Jeremy. Thank two you. Points. Um, so we talked about uh, most things. Um, there's something Ed wanted to bring up. And that was GP New Jersey because he was there vending for Tokyo MTG. Uh, he wants to give a shout out to one of the listeners that came up. Apparently, they had a good conversation. Uh, he talked to Sean over the weekend who stopped by the booth. So if your name is Sean and you're listening, congrats. You probably met with Ed. Um, I don't know if anyone took Ed up on the free kisses option that we offered on Twitter. But, you know, if that's a thing, uh, don't send it my way. Um, Ed wanted to talk about some of the prices and how far they had dropped. A lot of vendors uh, had Blood Moon this weekend at $20, which is like half off basically from what it was pre-reprint. Um, and there was another card he talked about. I believe one vendor had Foil Tarmogoyce for $130-ish. And he that was also something he was keeping an eye on. Um, Ed says that he wants people to start picking up cards about a month out after the reprint and that his pick of the week is Aethersphere Harvester. It is unlikely that a card like Aethersphere Harvester will be cheap for the remaining 18 months of standard and it fits the criteria of being ubiquitous enough that multiple decks can play it and it could double in price and hit $7 to $10 at some point in its life at standard. Um, he also wants to talk about... Um, a lot of vendors were offering $3 on Sahili because so many players were looking to dump their copies at the GP. And as we know, it's no, it's not banned. So that card will probably stabilize around 10. Um, are there any cards in particular now that we have the full set that you guys want to pick up? Because for me, it's a set of Damnation, set of Fetches, set of Blood Moon, and a set of Liliana. And I don't think I want Goyf. Yeah, basically all those. I don't want anything. I don't want it to touch a standard card right now. Although I do like Aether's Fear Harvester in the long run. I've talked about that card in the past as probably being the next best vehicle. Um, 
it, I, you know, I remember saying it was either that or Heart of Kieran. Turned out it was Heart of Kieran. But if they get rid of Heart of Kieran too, I could see Aethersphere becoming good enough. Uh, our superfan Papu MTG would like to point out that Travis already picked it on January 16th. Which card? The... Aethersphere Harvester. Yeah. Yep. So... Uh, yeah, there's still a spreadsheet for people that like this cast. Uh, we can track exactly how many times I beat the other guys on picks because they always pick short-term standard cards and I pick long-term EDH cards. So over time, I will have a higher percentage. So playing the playing the long game there. Um, yeah, so you know we are getting Modern Masters three in this uh, tomorrow, I believe, um, and we're getting what we got allotted in the end. On how on the our distributors asking, hey, how much do you want? And then I got an extra case. Thomas got an extra two and a half cases that our distributor was just like, hey, here's some more, basically. Um, and at the exact same time, Rogue Deck Builder published a video that says his distributor, uh, I think it was ACD, in his video is like cut off half of their Modern Masters boxes last minute, and like he's not getting half the boxes that he paid for on his order sheet or something. So I, I'm not sure what to think of this set at this point. Um, if you want, you can go watch Kevin's video on it at Rogue Deck Builder. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're getting more. Some people are literally just getting their supply cut in half. So we will see what happens with this set. That's surprising. I wonder what the reasoning for that is. Did Wizards make the distributors think that there was more than there actually was? I can't speak to that because I have no idea. Hmm. You know? I'm just looking at what people are tweeting and putting out content wise. And, you know, we're Thomas is getting more. I checked with the same distributor that we share. We are indeed getting one extra case, which is four whole boxes. Um, and then rogue is making videos about, Hey, we had our, our supply cut in half. So we will see what happens. Interesting. Uh, I want to take a moment to quick diversion. Shout out to the United States Postal Service. I shipped two cavernous souls in late January for $100 for the pair, 50 bucks cavernous souls. Car disappeared. Uh, the package just showed up as stuck in transit for a month. In the month of February, the card was spoiled in Modern Masters. Uh, I gave a full refund to the buyer because the cards just disappeared. Then eventually in like March 5th, suddenly the cards will show up on tracking on USPS website again and land at the guy's house, except now they've been spoiled in Modern Masters and they've dropped 10 bucks a piece. So thanks uh, USPS for costing me $20 for losing my package for a month. That was awesome. Shout out to USPS for, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that uh, one of the people that I follow on Twitter, MTG Dave Smith, completed his alpha uh set of cards today all the cards were gem mint except for the mint near mint or yeah mint alpha uh mox jet that i sent to him that was pierced through two different envelopes through a top loader and destroyed the part of the card i remember so, that yeah so now he's got eight mint alpha cards and he's got my was mint uh jet and it's just got like a nice ding in the card that's worth something right I I I cut off. I refunded him like thirty three percent of the buying price. Yeah, I was just oh like, really? this is, Yeah, I I straight up was like, you can have it for two thirds of what you just paid. Damn, yeah. that's a that's a lot of money to be eating on a what was a I'm sure a mint power. You you gotta you always got to keep the customer happy. Uh, good story because we were talking about this already. Um, customer came in, sold me a thousand dollars worth of cards. 
I paid him 500 because a lot of it was two to five dollar cards that you just can't afford to pay higher on. Then I went through his bulk and I found like Goblin Settlers, Dragon Shaman, whatever that card is that the one that makes your dragons cost two less. Dragon Speaker Shaman. Yeah, stacks of lightning bolts, uh, Wheel Fortune, Vampiric Tutor, um, Ristic Study. It ended up being about a thousand dollars retail that I found in this bulk. And because you have to keep up appearances and not screw the customer, I called him and I said, Hey, come back here. I owe you another six hundred dollars for what we found in your your bulk. And he told all of his friends about it and it makes everyone happy locally. Because I'll still make a profit on it, but it's an honest profit and not a aha, I gouged this guy out of an extra whatever amount of money. Yeah, I know that was nice of you. Uh back to the mox jet did you not ship that with insurance i shipped it insured registered mail and hand signature okay so that's what i would expect but if it's shipped with insurance shouldn't you be able to claim the damage correct so you can either choose to file a claim at that point or refund the buyer and let him keep it and he decided the post office confiscates the damaged item and refunds you for that so he decided he would rather keep the mocks and take the refund than literally lose the mocks to the post office while i get refunded which would have left him with no mocks. Uh, see that that's really tricky. So basically he gets to keep the mocks and pay two thirds of the cost and you eat a chunk of change. Correct. I oh. lose completely on that. The right. only way I quote unquote win is the post office takes the mocks, does whatever with it. I get refunded and I'm left with an unhappy buyer, which well, is not good for me. No, no, I understand that. But like, he does he didn't pay for anything it's essentially as if the whole deal was undone like i guess i as a buyer i would expect and i don't know the guy i have no idea what he would say i'm just thinking in hypothetical like as a buyer i would understand like this is you know not really gonna fly for me and i don't expect the business to take a loss of what was probably a couple thousand dollars because insurance the post office screwed up i mean that's what you got insurance for right yeah but once again you can only claim insurance if they seize the damaged item yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah you know it was it was a loss for me wrote it off as a business loss, and then it offset the rest of those alpha cards that so I got you, in that collection. What do you think uh, what do you think they do with all that stuff? Is there like a post office auction or something? I would have no idea, but if there's a post office auction, man, we're going to be cleaning up house. That's uh, that's probably some smart post office employee's business is uh, getting $8 an hour in a pension and then flipping all the stuff that gets sent in for insurance. Yeah. I don't know. Just like Goodwill, where they auction all the collectibles online. Oh, that I didn't tell you guys. So I sold a really large um, bunch of magic cards, like an old collection that I had picked through God knows how many times. It was, I don't know, probably 30 or 40,000 cards. I sold it locally like uh, three or four years ago. Uh, I was like, I was like 300 bucks. It's basically just commons and uncommons. It's been pretty picked, like knock yourselves out. So I sold it all. And then like a month ago, I was in an antique store with my fiance and I was like, oh, by the way, do you ever have magic cards show up? She's like, no, I don't. But you know, my friend just sold a collection on eBay. She's like, she just got it recently. She picked it up at the Goodwill down the street and uh, she sold it for like $700. And I was like, did she get that like two weeks ago? And she's like, yeah, she did. I was like, that was my collection. She bought the collection that I donated the Goodwill for I don't know how much and then turned around and sold it on eBay for $700. Uh, which is like twice what I sold it for. And I'm sure it had been picked through. There was less in it than when I gave it to her. But this actually raises a really interesting point here. Uh, it has to do a little bit with morals is when I sold those cards, I knew that there were no rares and then I had picked through it. 
So if I were going to put it on eBay, I couldn't really in good conscience just put it up as like an unidentified magic lot. Like I know what it is. So I could have lied, but that would be un uh, unethical. I could have just not said anything, but then if anyone asked, like I kind of have to tell them. Whereas she selling on eBay genuinely has no idea what's in there. So she can write, pick this up at Goodwill. I have no clue what's in it. And she's telling the truth and that's totally fine. So it's interesting how two people can sell the same good on eBay and it's completely fine for her to say she has no idea what's there, but I could never do that and uh, and have it be the right thing to do. Um, well, if you're buying bulk lots online, you should always assume that they're picked. Even if like one of the most common eBay tricks is I, I'm sure you are aware, Travis, because you're there all the time, is like leaving a $5 rare in the front of the box or the front of the picture and being like, I have no idea what's in this. Yeah, yeah, very so, clearly. So you're right. I mean, like the people buying that stuff should definitely be paying attention, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that not everyone does. I mean, she said sold it for like 700 bucks and the buyer paid shipping. So that was a lot of cards. So that was probably a good $800 on essentially garbage. So sucks for whoever bought it. Great for that lady. I don't know. Thought it was interesting. Jim, you want to try? Uh, I don't really have anything to add there. That voice is like honey. I guess Florida's connection finally stabilized. Uh, you guys I want mean, to move into pick of the week? Okay. Jim, you want to go first? Nope, because I don't have one yet. Travis <laughs> put a lot of pressure on me very fast here. We went from talking about whatever to pick of the week, like over like immediately. Um, no, you go first, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, what do we want to go with this week? Do you guys want a planeswalker, an enchantment, an artifact, or a land land? Land. I want to know right. what land you actually think is good. Cause I used to be on the land train, but now they've kind of dry it right up for me i'm gonna go with mana confluence for this week uh this card went up after four color generals got spoiled and there's a ton of demand locally still for this and the expedition uh at the places i work with i can't keep them in stock anywhere i just brought 20 into the shop on friday and put them in a in a case and we have four left as of this morning um it's not just commander players that are using it because 60 car casual is prevalent in my area where people come in to, and then bring stuff back to play on the kitchen table uh i'm seeing this a lot in sliver decks and i'm seeing this a lot in changeling decks um as a sort of budget re replacement for cavern of souls i guess would be the best way to put it um normally casual players hate lands that have a life loss but when these people are casting uh turn five hive lord or turn five um overlord and they don't have a gem hide sliver out it's real important for them to have the way to cast that uh same with the vivid lands we can't keep those in stock either because of the amount of people that want to use those as cheap edh lands in order to help cast their spells so that will be my pick for the week interesting um i suppose i would not normally pick mon i would not pick monic confluence i especially would pick a land that does damage but you would know better than i do given that you're selling through them I mean, keep in mind, it's all dependent on your local market. You know, we get we get legacy crowd. You guys don't. So we're all selling different types of things. I mean, we keep selling um, crop rotations and carpet of flowers to legacy players. And yeah, you, know, you don't really get that demand elsewhere. So. Yeah. Car um, carpet jumped not too long ago, like last week. Yeah, it's mm. like 11 bucks now. Pretty nuts. Um, all right. So I came up with one. I don't think I've said this before. I'm going to go with Living End. Uh, Channel Fireball just had a sale on these not that long ago. Or no, was Channel Fireball or Face to Face Games? Somebody just had a no, Face to Face Games. Somebody just had a sale on these for like seven and eight bucks. It was like seven and eight bucks Canadian or eight and nine Canadian, so pretty cheap. Um, 
card used to be like 15, almost $20, still hasn't been reprinted. Uh, Luminan has kind of faded from the metagame a little bit, but it does show up in like the 5-0 leagues every now and then. I see no reason why this couldn't come back. Um, with the Gitaxian Probe ban, we saw Infect really take a step back from the meta. Death Shadow is still fine, um, but Living End is going to be fine against that deck for the most part. The Expeditions give it new life because now you have ways to cast the Living Ends in your hand. Uh, so there's definitely some some price movement possible on Living End. Uh, all it'll take is like one really good run um, and a little bit of hype, and you could see that drain up, a supply drain up and hit like 15. Possibly even 20, 25. Jim? All right, so my pick is like not going to be particularly great if you're trying to like make money off of it, but if you're a player, I think that um, there are some cards that you should probably consider getting in the near future. Uh, with the reprint of the Zendikar Fetchlands, if they get low enough, if like the blue ones are about $30, we could finally start to see some actionable uh, increases in the price of Shocklands because now it's been like five years since they've been printed again. Uh, Overgrown Tomb is only $8, and it's kind of I think it's kind of hard to go wrong if you buy a couple of those right now, at least enough to play modern with. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm also starting to like Hallowed Fountain. Um, buy lists on that are at an all-time low, but I don't feel bad paying $3 on them, which is what most buy lists are at. So, it, I've been wondering if Shocklands have uh, a lot more price potential now that the fetch lands are basically dirt cheap. Like, is that what we need? General in consensus, yeah. Um, it's not really a shocking discovery at this point for most of our listeners either. Well, like, I think that the green-black one has the most to grow because the green-black cards in general, just like there's like a green-black theme deck basically in Modern Masters 2017. And we got Termagoyf, Luliana, Terminate, uh, Lingering Souls, just like all of the cards that go in the Abzan or Jun decks. Uh, Inquisition is another card that's like pretty expensive or was pretty expensive. So I think the Overgrown Tomb is, is a card that we could see go up... Um, and I want to say Black Cleave Cliffs, but those are a little bit more expensive, and they have a lot more to fall. They're at twenty right now for Black Cleave, right? Yeah, they're up there. Yeah, right. And like that's—I don't think is as good of a buy because if they get reprinted in like a dual deck or something, they have a lot more. They they could fall a lot more than the eight dollar Overgrown Tombs that you could buy right now. I would rather have Raging Ravine over Black Cleave Cliffs if you have the opportunity to trade for either. I think that's the better pickup. Is it though? Like, I don't know if that's even true. Well, so let's look at the difference. Uh, Raging Ravine is less than Black Leaf Cliffs right, right now, and it's from an older set. Uh, does he play in less uh, less uh, decks? But it's one of the key parts to Modern Jund, and the deck basically just got reprinted. I mean, we've already seen Thoughtseize finally, for the love of God, jump up. You it's know? true. It's true. But I think that the. Raging Ravine is a little more likely to get reprinted because we've already seen Stirring Wildwood got reprinted in a dual deck not too long ago. Um, I think the mainlands are a little bit easier to put in there. Like the Fastlands players that are newer to the game don't necessarily like appreciate how good they are. So that might be part of it. Yeah, it's funny you, guys, funny you guys say that because I am literally printing out a shipping label for two original foil raging ravines right now that i just sold at like 70 bucks a piece that prices on these are nuts i'd rather kill myself than buy modern foils 
Honestly, Jund players, I think, are like the highest. Like, I think I've seen more Jund foil, like complete foil decks, than any other foil deck. I'm inclined to agree with you on that. Ed has definitely said on the cast in the past that at boost, Jund players are always the ones buying the foils for their decks or trading. I think that's got to be because they are likely to be the most settled on that strategy. Like, Jund is evergreen, it's never changing. So, it's not like ad nauseum where it comes and goes. Like, this is always forgetting one thing. Jund from Modern to Legacy is almost the exact same deck, minus the duels and chains. It's I can't like imagine. the exact same seventy-five with Punishing Fire. I can't imagine that matters that much, but I suppose in some cases. Well, I mean, locally, I, bet, I know a lot of foil Jund players. I don't know how many how many of them are rushing the play in Legacy too. Uh, well, locally we have Modern and Legacy, and you see that trade off of the Jund players and Modern play at Legacy. And yes, Travis, I understand. It's Legacy in St. Louis. Did anyone know that? Make sure yeah. we all know. Best format. Come and win a Black Lotus next month. Yeah, I heard there's also a hockey team there. I'm not sure. Oh god. Yeah, yeah. You could have seen them play with me in the front row of the Winter Classic, but uh. Oh well. Come. Do they show up in like April? I don't know. Like something, something they don't show up at the playoffs. Yeah, no, we always lose to the Kings and the Blackhawks. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about this week? I feel like I had something in mind and I don't remember what it was. So I guess not. So there's a mind erosion going on? Yeah. Ah, shoot. I don't know what it was. I'm pretty, I'm pretty like. Margin, all right. Maybe I'm marginally excited for Amonkhet. I think it, I think it's going to be a good set. I think that the thematic sets of stuff that is like pretty well established in pop culture goes over well. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to start seeing some spoilers from uh, Amonkhet. I, I'd like to at least get the god cards. So I'm a filthy casual now. So all I want to know is all the legendary creatures that I can play in EDH. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this cast up since Travis had a memory lapse. Where can people find you guys? You can find me every week at Modern Nexus and every other week on Gathering Magic or on Twitter at PHROST underscore or next weekend, not the weekend, not this weekend, next weekend uh, at Grand Prix Orlando. And I'm Travis Allen. Wizard Bumpin. You can find me on Twitter. I write every Monday for mtgprice.com. And if you enjoy playing Magic, check out Scry.land. Find Magic in your area. Scry.land is an awesome website. It's one of the things that Travis and I agree on, even though he hasn't (laughs) added local events yet. Well, I've been pestering my buddy who does a lot of the back-end programming to put more time into it, but he's been really busy lately. But we have a table view that's really close to being to fruition, which I think will be really useful. Yeah. Um, I'm Zemet. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. I'm going to Japan next week right after Ed. I will be stopping for six whole hours at the the floor at GP Orlando. Uh, literally just to dump some stuff and pick up some power before I go overseas. Uh, we're not sure over the next two weeks if we'll upload anything. Uh, Travis is gone next week and then I'm gone two weeks after and next week Ed is going to be trying to fight uh, Japanese time and it will be like uh, six in the morning Japanese time when he tries to when we if we record this upcoming Monday so we might take a two-week hiatus um, just warning you guys ahead of time yeah uh, I'm gone for me. two weeks in a row by the way it's not yeah it's not in two weeks it's for two weeks for me yeah, and I've gone for eight or nine days so we will see what happens um, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic uh, we want to thank all of our listeners who um, 
watch this live. This was actually one of our biggest, uh, most live stream views. I think the that you guys are really starting to enjoy the live stream format. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, we also offer the ability to watch the video series on YouTube at uh, Lengthy Zemet. So thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 46, and I hope you enjoyed our discussion with the Ether Hubbub.